She's worked alongside some of the biggest names in Hollywood, and she lives and works right here in Montgomery, Alabama. And when I say living and working, Dr. Stewart is working on changing lives and changing the world around her. This woman, who is a legend in her own right, has a gift for finding talent, for impressing on that talent the importance of being who they were created to be, and for pouring out all she's learned from her incredible experiences into her students. Dr. Stewart has a powerful vision, and she sits down to share what she sees and how she teaches others to see it too. I'm Bethany Davis, and this is Being Real. Sponsored by The Weight Clinic and Alpha Insurance. Obviously, you have made a life out of drama. <laughs> but do you consider yourself to be dramatic? I don't. No? I really don't. <laughs> I, just, I just think that life is drama. And drama is life. Uh, one mirrors the other. Uh, we try to to um, affect reality in drama so that we can see ourselves, hear ourselves, and help ourselves. Uh, that, to me, is what drama is all about. So when we wake up in the morning, we're, we're blessed to be able to get up, but we have to know that the day is not in our purview to see ahead. So we have to live it as we go and ask God to order our steps as we move about. So to me, life is drama and drama is life. I love how it's just all intertwined because you really have intertwined your life with drama. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but I have to talk to you. I want you to talk a little bit about some of the dramatic roles that you've played because we have seen you in some incredible, incredible roles on the screen from <laughs> A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey to In the Heat of the Night. Man, you have played some incredible roles. Do you have any favorites? Oh, that's a good question. I I, they are all of my favorites because for every opportunity that I've had, I feel blessed because I know the monumental task of casting directors, trying to determine who to select. And there are so many wonderfully talented uh, artists in this country. And um, so it's hard for me to say that I have one over the other, but there's always something unique and special about each one. Like when I was in ER, um, I, I recall a lot about my mother-in-law and I found myself allowing her to live in that character. And when I worked with uh, uh, Della Reese and Cicely Tyson in uh, Touched by an Angel, that was so special to me because Della Reese wrote that particular episode for me and uh, the network decided that they needed Cicely in the lead and I could be supporting. And Della would come to the set and say, I wrote this for Tania Stewart. Where is Tania? And I would say, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> so it was so much drama in that. And, and the experience of getting closer with Cicely in the process. Della and I have been close friends since 1971. Wow. And when I think about um, Walker, Texas Ranger, that I was a principal on there. I was a, a member of the uh, jury on there. I was um, in so many different roles with uh, 
uh, with the, the, the walker and getting to know his family who were all a part of the entire set. I mean, his brother, his wife, family members were part of, of the workforce there. And uh, it was really great. I took my daughter with me, and she got to be a, an officer in the court <laughs> in one of, in one of the episodes that I filmed there. So I, that was memorable. <clears throat> and then when I got to work with uh, Andy Griffith with Matlock, um, and he requested me to uh, perform with him in a special that we made, and the public didn't like the special so much because he was an evil man. <laughs> in in Gramps, that ep that uh, particular television special that we did, but I had a chance to sing with him and rehearse with him, and talk with him one on one. So that was favorite. And then with with a time to kill, working with Matthew McConaughey, but most of all working with Samuel L. Jackson, mm. we discovered that we had known each other from from undergraduate school and and. I didn't remember it, but he did. And he said, wait a minute. We went to lunch one day and we were sitting there talking and he said, uh, you know, I look at you and I said, they could have cast my wife in this role because you're so much like Latanya. And I said, really? And he said, that's right. He said, I, I don't know why they didn't do it. I said, well, because I needed a chance to do this role. And we laughed about it. And when we laughed, he said, wait, 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 Tania. What, you, did you ever go to NASA? I said, yeah, the National Association of Dramatic and Speech Arts. Sure. He said, oh, my God. He said, I was at Morehouse, and my director was Joan Lewis. I said, oh, my God. Joan Lewis, she and my professor argued all the time. He said, I remember that. He said, and it was over you. And we, we, we laughed about it, and we became close. And that friendship has lasted to this day. So when you ask, what is my favorite? And when I think of In the Heat of the Night, oh my goodness. Carol O'Connor, Howard Rollins, Denise Nicholas, these folk became a part of my family. I mean, um, Carol O'Connor was such a wonderful person. Um, one day he was talking to me about playing Archie Bunker and he said, you know, I want you to understand one thing. I played that role so that I would be in a position to do what we're doing today. And, and I said, what do you mean? He said, and now I could, I am the producer on this show and I got you here. And he said, I have more African-American performers and artists working crew on this show than any other show in network television. And do you know he was telling the truth? This man embraced my students at Alabama State. Uh, one day he came to me and said, we're gonna have a lot of extras to me. You always talk about your students. Why don't you bring them up? I said, oh, I would love to, but there's so many of them. He said, I'll send a bus. He sent a bus to Alabama State University and bused my students to the set talked with them, ate with them, autographed pictures, took pictures with them. They were able to be extras. And then he even found one that he liked so much, he brought him back to play a, a special character, Charles Patton, on one of the episodes. This was a genuinely wonderful man. So Heat of the Night, mm, 
maybe I, I can't. I can't. I, it was special to me too. I can't say that it was the most special because all of them were blessed opportunities for me. I just I have to just stop and tell you this that I'm just so blessed to have wonderful children and, and a wonderful husband who, as of my partner, we worked hard to not only do our work with it in education with our students, but with our, our children. And our children endured all of our time and patience with other children, other students. The times that I would come in at two and three o'clock in the morning from rehearsal, and sometime after being there practically all night, they were still loving and still understanding. So my daughter, Alicia, Alicia Stewart Cook, that young lady is so dedicated to her field of work. And, and she's a lot like me in that she's a, in a giving position. She's a speech pathologist. And my oldest son, he is a, an entrepreneur. He's a lot like his dad. He's into the business world. And here again, teaching and sharing with other people. So the, the three of them, I mentioned my, my, my youngest son, Thomas, who is following it in my field because he loves editing and the camera. And, uh, but in all of that, in our five grandchildren, oh, God bless them, they are de deciding their own way. So I'm so grateful to have a, a family that's supporting, a family that believe, a family that prays with us. And we work together for the good of all. And I just wanted to just add that point about them before I, I go on to tell you about when I'm sitting in the middle of greatness and when I'm working long hours and when I'm giving in the community, my children, they're right there, right there at all times. Obviously, you, you've made some really close relationships and some incredible friendships. Who stands out as one that really influenced you? Which of the artists influenced me? Yeah. Ooh. I was about to mention Angela Bassett because we did the Rosa Parks story together as well as with Cicely Tyson. Um, influenced me. Ooh. Because we all had such a wonderful relationship. Uh, Angela Bassett is, I guess, the reason that I try to eat healthy today. That's her influence. Della Reese pointed out to me uh, so many things about my, my personal character and what she saw in me. And then, of course, actress B. Richards and the man of many faces, Frank Silvera. Oh, my God. I, I would have to say hmm, Frank Silvera because Frank Silvera is living through me to this day. Um, he gave me uh, an understanding and a, an appreciation of what he called a theory of acting that he called being, the American theater of being. And he told me that actress B. Richards was his first student. And it turns out that I ended up being his last student, not knowing that that was going to happen that way. But this man is so close in my spirit till I get emotional. Just thinking of him and saying his name. And I pass it on now to my own son, my youngest son, and my daughter-in-law. 
all of my students at Alabama State University were taught the American theater being technique uh, for acting and for character and for study and for life. Those students who I taught on a daily basis, I tried to impart to them what Frank Severa gave me. He told us that being is defined as existing in a perfect state, lacking no essential characteristics, which was an affirmation of self, that we didn't make ourselves, but who we are, we are perfect in God's sight. We are perfect because that's how he made us. That's who he made us to be. So B. Riches talked about uh, that being and that being perfect. When she said, when she discovered as a child how black she was, how dark she was, and that she used to be, as a child, afraid of darkness. And she says, as she grew up, she embraced darkness, and she's not afraid of the dark. So there was nothing to be afraid of or to feel bad about, about the color of my skin, the texture of my hair, the thickness of my lips or the broadness of my nose or the curves of my hips. All of that is perfect for me. If you're pigeon-toed, if you're not kneed, if you're blind, if you're crippled, if you, you're, you still lack nothing. You exist in a perfect state lacking no essential characteristics. What you should do is build on that. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself because the God you serve is in you. Trust him. Believe him. Follow him. Know that you are here for a reason. And you must extend yourself for that reason. And that reason is never about you. It's about what you can do for others. So Frank Severa is known as a man of many faces. He was African-American, born of Jamaican descent. Yet he played Chinese, Japanese, Mexican, European, very few African-American roles because he mastered the art of stepping into existence of the life of the character who was written on the page. He believed that experience comes before the word. So the word, when people just study the words, just learn the lines, they're not getting the character. They're not getting the essence of that character, that person that they're portraying. They have to understand that person's experience. So who influenced me the most? Hmm. <laughs> Frank Severa. Yeah. And I'm right now, right to this day, with the help of my daughter-in-law, L.J. Stewart, and my son, Thomas Stewart, and four other students, Benita Hamilton Caesar, 
Leona Michelle Weaver, Shawanda Curry, and Antonio Woodard. We're putting together a manual because I won't be here forever. Bea Richards has gone on, Frank Severa has gone on, and being his last student, I want to pass on for the sake of the students that I've taught and for those that want to learn in the future how important they are and how what they have to offer is valuable. And they must sustain the traumas of life, the questions of life, the, 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 the trials of life. Rise above it. Let it become a stepping stone because that is what creates your experience so that your words will have a reason to be. So we're working on that manual. We're doing a documentary. And I've been working on the, the artifacts that Frank Silvera's family has put in my care and B. Rich's family has put in my care and my artifacts so that we will have something to show as evidence that we did exist and that our existence was to do some good for somebody else. It's not about self. Communities don't just happen. They're built by people. From the big moments to the small acts of kindness. It's the authentic connections we make that define us. At Alpha Insurance, we know that every day you're building things that are worth protecting. Because for us, this is more than coverage. It's who we are. Alpha Insurance. Building tomorrow. Together. You have been an incredible giver backer to this community. <laughs> A giver backer. <laughs> I like that. You really have, though. You have stepped out in, and done so much for so many people and created experiences for so many people that without you may not have ever had those experiences. I wonder sometimes, you know, because God has a plan and he made so many of us to be vessels to serve his plan. Uh, I, I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do because all along, you know, growing up in the Delta of Mississippi, I was determined I would be a medical doctor. And I, I, I really did dive into the sciences. But that wasn't what God had planned for me to do, I guess, because everything else just started to fall in place when I had to confront the challenges of becoming a medical doctor. And it was simple. Uh, growing up, I, I had all kinds of medals and awards for my science fair projects. And growing up, I witnessed so many of my family members ill with high blood pressure, gout, arthritis, diabetes. And I said, I, I, I've just got to find a way to help. That's always been a part of me. Uh, help, help, help. My role as a little girl was to help my great-grandfather, Papa Dallas, he, he was blind, and, and I had to lead him around 
And when we sat on the front garret, well, the, we called it the garret when I was growing up in the Delta. That's what we call it today, a front porch. But I had to stay within his reach of Papa Dallas. Because if he wanted coffee, water, or needed to go back in the house, I had to lead him back in. And it became my joy to help him. And he, he had such a unique gift. Papa Dallas could tell who was coming up the dirt road by their footsteps. Though he had never seen them because he was blinded as a child. He never saw me. But he patted me on my head one day and told me that I was going to be a spokesperson. And I had forgotten that. I said, a spokesperson? I didn't even know what it was. I said, I don't even, I remember making the statement. Papa Dallas, I don't even not know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so much from my childhood. He said, that's all right, daughter. Shows your bone, spokesperson, spokesperson. Shows your bone. And he would tell other people the same way. Coming up the dirt road, he could hear the stride of their footsteps. And he would just, here come my preacher man, things like that he would say. Here come nurse SMA. Here come, here come my mockingbird. He would just, and do you know, <laughs> all of us that I remember became what Papa Dallas said. Maybe he planted a seed or maybe it was his role to nurture the seed that God had planted. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but that helping was always a part of me. And I just knew that I was going to be a medical doctor. But when I got to college on scholarship <laughs> in biology, my professor, Dr. Washington, was showing us um, an experiment of dissecting a raccoon. <laughs> the dissecting part didn't bother me. But the hair on the raccoon in his eyes. Oh no. Turned me away. I backed up in the classroom. I I, I don't like those hairy little things. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the hallway and I started to cry and I was sliding down the wall to to a squat as my professor walked out and he said, What are you doing out here? I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. He said, go wash your face, you'll be all right. Oh. I washed my face and I walked right back across the campus to Mr. E.J. Fisher's office. And he was my speech and drama teacher. And he said, when I walked in, the tears still strolling down my cheeks. He said, I've been waiting on you. I said, I beg your pardon. He said, I don't know why you haven't been in my office to talk to me before now. I said, well, I'm coming today because I, I, I just can't be over there in the biology. I can't do it. He said, no, because you're supposed to act and you're supposed to be a speaker. You're, you're a performer. You're an artist. I've seen you at the competitions because we had state competitions at Jackson State. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. But Papa Dallas planted that seed when he patted me on my head and said, You's going to be a spokesperson one day. See, Papa Dallas was blinded as a slave child because he wanted to learn to read and write. And the overseer caught him out there trying to learn his alphabets. 
That's what he told me. And made an example out of him for all the other plantation workers and slavers. You have no right to learn the reading right. It's against the law. When he told me that story, it burned and itched something in my spirit that um, will never leave me. I guess I buried it for a long time, too, because I do not recall anything um, after Papa Dallas's death. I, I, I just, I, I have a blank, a real blank space. I don't even remember the funeral. I don't remember any of that. Wow. It was so terrifying for me. So I loved Papa Dallas. I was a little girl, so I, I just don't, I, I, I did remember when I um, was leaving Florida State after receiving my PhD degree, um, driving back to, to uh, Mississippi with my car packed with books and plants and <laughs> all kinds of things, heading back home, it started raining, the sun came on the radio, um, you are my hero. Mm. All of a sudden, death. Ooh, I pulled off to the side of the road. I got out of that car and I screamed. I remember Papa Dallas all of a sudden because he made me, that day that he told me the story, he made me make a, a promise. I held my hand up to make a promise to him that I would go all the way through school as a little girl. And I would read every book that I could and I would, I would promise to tell his story. And in 1987, up until that point, I had not told his story. And it was while I was driving back in 89, that it came so clear to me. And he appeared so vivid to me. I said, I did it, Papa Dallas. I did it. And I'm gonna keep my promise. So that's one person I made a promise to that had a fantastic influence on my life. And I made a promise to B. Richardson, Frank Severa. And I'm working on fulfilling that promise now. I would say... Dr. Students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say, Dr. Stewart, that um, Papa Dallas is still living in you. And I, I firmly believe that he has, um, he has left his gift with you. I think maybe it's uh, evolved a little bit with you, but you have had an incredible gift of, um, maybe not, you're not blind, so you can see who's coming down the road. Yeah. But you can also see what is down the road for other people. And you have done I some- I could see it in my students. I would sit with them and I would get this feeling and I said, you all stop. Oh, this is a powerful moment. And they would say, what were you talking about, Dr. I'm talking about you. Oh, you all are great. And I know many of them thought that 
I was pulling their chain, but I really felt their greatness. Timothy Ware is now writing for Disney and he's been on Broadway in Kinky Boots and he's doing fabulous things. Marcus Henderson is on that television series where he was like a fireman. I said, I don't even know the name of all the shows <laughs> they're doing. Graduated from Yale with a Master of Fine Arts. Oh, my son Thomas is dedicated to his editing and, and directing and passing it on to children. He's going to speak just yesterday to some children in the public school about their career and about how important it is to stay focused on what you're trying to do. Oh, my daughter-in-law, L.J., the most talented, powerful actress I've ever taught, is writing with, with, with class. She's able to take a, a novel and put it into a script and, and people are optioning for her work. It's just amazing to me. And now she's getting the, the thrill and joy of teaching. <laughs> I told her, I said, I thought you would never teach. She said, I thought I wouldn't either. But it's because we had a film camp last summer. And we have it again this summer. And they came and they enjoyed working with the children so much teaching them about the work that they they have learned to love in film and television. And then I look at Benita Hamilton Caesar on Broadway. Now she's the veteran actor actor in Lion King. And the new, newest member of Lion King, one of our students, um, uh, doing well as Simba. Oh, and then, then you, you, I mean, it's just the, the, the list goes on and on. It goes on and on. I'm so proud of them. I know. I am so are. proud of them. J. Bernard Calloway on Miss Pat, Charlie Hudson uh, doing different series and equity theater. I mean, they just they just look good and they, they're doing well. And I remember sitting in that company saying, oh, hold it, wait a minute. I'm sitting in the midst of greatness. J. Marcus Hunter is in, in Atlanta the head of the hair unit for the, the, what's that the, the dead walking in the living dead I've forgotten the name of that show I tell you I can't even keep up with them they're doing so many wonderful things oh thank you for that that point of acknowledgement because I it's true I I can't really see into the future but I do feel and see their gifts it's something about touching them and looking into their eyes. And I, I, I receive their quest for the opportunity. Yeah. And then I tell myself and I tell them, I would say to them, every year we had uh, exit exams. And a part of the exit exam is to, to find out what do you really want to do now? What, what, what is your goal? And when they say it, I just write it down and I said, well, it's going to happen. And then I would make my business to try to make the first step because I know if we make one step, God will make two. I had one young lady tell me at an exit interview, she said, I, I, I really don't know what I want to do. She said, Doc, I feel like you've crippled me. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, 
you've always been there for me. Now, what, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I said, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? She said, Chicago. I said, why Chicago? I don't know. Do you have, do you have relatives there? No. Nope. Is there a theater there you want? No. Nope. But I just feel like it's the place for me to be. And me and my silly self called a friend of mine in Chicago and said, I'm asking you to do something for me. I've got a student that is brilliant, super talented. This girl can walk on any stage and, and hold an audience just by herself. You got to help her. She wants to come to Chicago. And you're going to have to have her at your theater. She has no relatives there, so she has to have a place to stay. She said, do you, do you understand what you're asking me? I said, I do. And I don't want you to say anything but yes. Because I know you can say yes. Oh. And she did. And that young lady now has her MFA in theater. I mean, along with the other 48 of them. That's incredible. From Alabama State, I think we've given this country the highest number of African-American students with an MFA degree than any other university in this country. Wow. That's incredible. That's it. I'm telling you, because all of the universities have put students out there with the MFA, but they would only accept one or two African-Americans. Mm. But all of those one or twos came from right there out of that state. Are you tired of feeling drained, being overweight, having no motivation? The Weight Clinic in Prattville can help. Weight loss isn't just a physical challenge. It's a mental challenge. That's why we support our patients every step of the way with physician-directed weight loss. We offer a variety of weight loss medication, supplements, and services tailored to your personal goals. Reclaim your motivation and energy and love you again. The Weight Clinic in Prattville. Call us today. I want to ask you about one student in particular who has um, who made a name for himself but has really been a household name only recently. I want to ask you about your relationship with Twitch, who was a Montgomery native, who was a, a Dr. Stewart graduate, I think is it fair to say. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard him talk about his time with you and how you made him feel safe, as you were just talking about earlier, safe to be him just as he was created. Wonderful young man, positive, energetic, enthusiastic, God-fearing, wonderful mother, family, um, he never attended Alabama State University. Twitch was in the summer camps. And a part of my wrestle with um, losing him, I, 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 I have a problem thinking that he would even think of 
hurting himself because he was so giving and so supportive and so um, focused and so dedicated and so happy. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, that's what I saw uh, when when students study under me in the at the university and they get through the acting classes that I taught, I took them through some exercises that were powerful enough to more than likely deter, according to Frank Severa, if you if you focus on the things that he had us work on, thinking of hurting yourself would not become a part of your agenda. You would you would be so concerned with making sure that you are, are, are entertaining the gifts that God gave you. So the summer camp, I didn't take the students through that kind of intense training because they were young. The, the, the oldest age was 17. And it used to be 16, and we finally went up to 17. So they were too young to delve into that part of of the the development. And so many of the students wanted to know more, so they decided that they would come to Alabama State to college because they wanted to, to be stronger. They wanted to go deeper. They wanted to reassure themselves and not have to wait on a critic to say to them, well done, but they would be able to say for themselves, I've given my best. So uh, when Twitch left and he was in Vegas for a while, he went to Los Angeles, um, he always stayed in touch. As a matter of fact, we talked maybe about four weeks before this terrible loss. And we were talking then about an opportunity coming up. He was trying to wrestle with which way to go, which, how does this sound? What do you think of that? And then I was telling him about something that had come up uh, to um, uh, an opportunity for a dance show. And he was in, he was excited about it. and. Uh, he, he had given me, he, he said, I'm going to text you the contact for my manager and text you um, my email so you can send that to me first. And then I'll tell you how to tweak it a little bit. I said, OK, well, we'll do that. I mean, we would, uh, it was a good, good timing, good, good spirit, a great loss, a painful loss. Mm-hmm even for people that didn't know him or talk to him on a daily basis, just knowing of him, just following his career, just embracing him, people were were really affected by his loss. And they still are. I, I get calls and cards and notes and emails and face Facebook um, notes and words weekly. And it, it's hard, and I, I know it's very hard on his family. Mm-hmm. Wonderful young man. 
And it seems like whenever we lose somebody, we all say how wonderful they were, but they were. I, I, I do not know of anything negative that I could say about Twitch, Stephen Voss. Wow. I don't know. He came back and worked with children in our summer camp and gave them hope and enthusiasm. And those children remembered and, oh boy, have they called, have they written poems and poured out their hearts because they were touched by him. Yeah. Dr. Seward, you have, uh, gosh, your plate is so full. And I'm so, <laughs> you have done so much and you continue to do so much. And you tell me today you're working on a, a documentary and a manual that will leave your legacy behind. And I just have to wonder, when do you slow down? When do you take some time for you? You've given so much well, of yourself. To, to do. I love my work with the students. I love children. I, I love helping. And I'm also working on something statewide. Um, we have a coalition for the arts and entertainment of trying to, uh, I presented it to our governor and she, she was kind toward the idea and she assigned someone to, to uh, help me and they've been very resourceful. I'm working on making arts and entertainment a part of the workforce for the state of Alabama. Uh, we're creating a curriculum for the Innovation Center in hopes of enticing and inviting and preparing those persons, whether they're young, old, or middle-aged, <laughs> that want to work in the industry, in the arts and entertainment industry. So the way the Innovation Center works is when we um, set the classes up, you register for the classes, you pay nothing. Mm. And you're trained by professionals who work in the field. And then you, when, when, when stage shows, when um, concerts, when uh, films, projects, television projects come to the state of Alabama, there's a register of people who have been trained and certified to do the work, below the line work for the industry. And that, that way our people will no longer be just an extra for $55 a day or stand around staring and wishing that they could be a part, but they would be an actual working person, a workforce in the state of Alabama in arts and entertainment. They started doing it in Georgia years ago. And it is now, Georgia is now uh, a real competitive arm and a little bit ahead of California wow. when it comes to making films. And they started it Right after the Rosa Parks story, Senator Charles Steele and I went to Louisiana uh, and because they were interested in how we brought the Rosa Parks story to Alabama. And so Louisiana started right after that. 
uh, right after the Rosa Parks story. And now it is booming. The industry is booming there. And people there who know how to do hair, <clears throat> makeup, um, culinary arts, drivers, uh, electricians, uh, camera people, photographers, all of these people, accountants, they're working on a regular basis, doing something that they love. And they don't have to leave their state. Instead of leaving Georgia, people are moving to Georgia. Instead of leaving Louisiana, people are now moving to Louisiana. And the people who live there, who were washed out with the hurricanes and all, they're now working there and, and happy to be home. So I'm trying to work with workforce development for the state of Alabama, that our young people will stop shooting and killing each other over stuff and focus on bettering themselves, being a part of the workforce. The film and television industry puts, according to research, $9 back to the state on the dollar. Oh, wow. I think the automotive industry puts 3.5% back. We need that industry right here, that entertainment industry in Alabama. Right now, if someone brings a project to Alabama, they bring their crew from Georgia, Louisiana, California, New York, everywhere else. We need the crew to be developing here. We're, we're doing movies in Mobile. We have uh, Oprah's um, Hunts, Huntsville series in Huntsville. We're doing movies in Birmingham. We've done movies in Montgomery. We have in this state the best natural resources, resources for location shooting more than any other state in this region. We've got mountains, we've got oceans, we've got rivers, we've got lakes, we've got fields, we've got flatland, we've got shacks, we have mansions, we have all of that in the state. And people will go to other states and have to recreate uh, or simulate what we already have naturally here. That's how the Rosa Parks story got here because they called me to do the, the role of Johnny Carr and said that, um, can, when can you leave for Canada? I said, Canada? Why Canada? And the producer said, you have a problem with going to Canada? No, but I live in Montgomery. <laughs> and act, the action took place right here in Montgomery. And some of the people at the time who were right there with Rosa Parks are still here. Johnny Carr was here. Edie Nesbitt was here, right here. The locations are still here. Why, how is it cost effective to go to Canada when you can come to Montgomery where it really happened? And then he said, well, let me just tell you, um, we need some incentives in, in Montgomery, uh, in Alabama, they're not giving us, I mean, well, we're, 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 we're going to need at least $300,000. I 
I said, 300,000, okay. I mean, can you give me two days? He said, what do you mean? Give me two days. Well, it's gonna take more than that. It's gonna take 300,000. Um, it's an incentive. It's gonna take uh, another 300,000 uh, in, in, in in-kind service. I said, two days? And I called Senator Charles Steele, who was a senator, state senator at the time. And he said, Dr. Stewart, we can do that. He said, you call him back and tell him yes. And that Senator Steele, who is now president of SCLC and has moved to Atlanta, um, we, 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 we made it with the help of Alabamians. Mercedes-Benz supplied cars as an in-kind. I went and knocked on doors and buildings and found office space and that was just sitting there as in-kind and was able to get some office suppliers to put computers and uh, uh, copying machines and all. We worked. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I need to see this in writing and I want it to be notarized. I said, okay. And we notarized it and we sent it. And he said, okay, our crew is coming to Alabama. He said, I got folk already in Canada ready. They're coming to Alabama. I said, bring them on. <laughs> and we were able to do it. That's Members of the legislature stepped up to the plate. So that's where, that's a major project that I'm working on right now to try and get workforce development, uh, arts and entertainment as a part of the workforce development. And the, com- the community colleges in the state are ready for it. I know that they are. As you said, we've got a, an incredible list of resources and talented people. You know what, Dr. Stewart, I just love that as much as you have already done, you are just always ready and willing and available to do even more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. the work that you're doing. But gosh, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. You are a gem and a treasure not just to this community, to the whole country, but to me, you have been such a joy to get to know. Thank you so much. And you have been a joy to know and watch. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Dr. Stewart. Dr. Stewart is a dynamic spirit with a commanding presence and an attitude that draws people in like a magnet. And that's what makes her real. As we wrap up this first season of our first ever podcast on WSFA 12 News, thank you. Thank you for coming along on this journey. Thank you for sitting with these incredible women. Thank you for allowing us all some time to just be real. The plans are already in the works for our next season. We can't wait for you to join us on the next leg of this adventure. I'm Bethany Davis. This is Being Real.